0: You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. All right, this is, uh, is going to tee up. Probably the most important series of the year is this one. We're answering this question, who is Jesus? And it's going to lead kind of all the way into Easter. You guys started last week with a message called The Good Shepherd. Uh, if you don't have notes, there are some things I'm going to want you to write down uh, today. Because when you ask the question, who is Jesus? And what separates Jesus from every other religion in the world? Are we arrogant to think He's the only way to heaven? Uh, He he might be one of many ways. And so during this series, we're going to talk about His nature, His his power. We're going to talk about Him being God today. That offends a lot of people. Uh, We're going to talk about what happens uh, a millisecond after the trumpet sounds. What happens one second after you die. How many of y'all are interested in some of this? And uh, so it's going to be great. But this is a message for the times we're living in right now. Because when Jesus said this, he said, you know what? I'm God. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Out of the seven top world religions, Jesus is the only founder who claimed to be God. He's the only one that came on the scene and said, "I, I am not just the person talking about Christianity. I am God. He's the only one who made that claim. And then he backed it up by raising himself from the dead. And when he said, I am God, we're going to look at it in John 8. He's basically was saying at this point, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about me. And the Pharisees were like, who? Who do you think you are talking like this? Now, all of you parents and grandparents, have you ever looked at your kids and go, who do you think you are right now? You know, who do you think you are? This, this happened, you go to the beach, you go to Florida in the summer, you're gonna see how some people are dressed and you're like, who do you think you're like? In your mind, you think you're Matthew McConaughey, but it ain't all right, all right, all right. Like what you're wearing, who do you, who do you think you are to be dressed like you're dressed? Uh, so my parents would tell me that I got in an argument with my mom because I didn't know my dad was home and he grabbed me by my shirt put me up against the wall and he said, who do you think you are? But there was a few other words in there. I can't say everybody's had that moment. Now, my boy, Austin, he's 14 and all of a sudden he thinks he's the man of the house. He walks around and bows up when he walks through the kitchen. He walks taller, talks deeper, and he'll look at me every time. He goes, oh, you staring at me? you want some of this and he just flexes that little chest of his little baby chest of his. and i'm like boy who do you think you are i said it takes me four seconds on a bad day to take him down to size all the men of god in here knows what i'm talking about said amen like who do you think you are and so when they're asking jesus like who are you and who do you think you are this has been a question from the old testament to the new testament Uh, David said it like this, Who is He? We've got a God out there. Who is this King of glory? And he goes, The Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. He got a taste of it, a glimpse of it. We get to look back on history and go, David was talking about Jesus. He is the King of glory. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our leader. So Jesus posed this question to His disciples one day. He goes, who do, who do people say that I am? This is in Matthew. And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're you know, Elijah, some say you're a prophet. You know, people were saying a whole lot of things about Jesus. And He goes, who do you say that I am? And I want everybody to look at me. This is the most important question in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? You can get every other thing in your life right. If you get this wrong, your life's a failure. Like this is the one thing that you have to ace. And this is the one thing. I want everybody to lock in for just a second. This is the one thing that Satan tries to confuse you on is the identity of Jesus. He can go, if I can just mess this up in your mind... If I can just get you to see Jesus a little bit different, you can t- you can name him Jesus, but he's not who he is in the word. If I can just do that a little bit, so that he's kind of mistaken, he's cloudy, he's not who he is in the word. Then he said, like, "I got you." Are right, you listen? This is what he did in the Garden of Eden. This is what he did with Adam and Eve. God the Father. If you're taking notes, write this down. He was a generous father. That's how he introduced himself. He said, "You can eat." Of everything in the garden, except this one thing, this tree right here. If you eat of it, you're gonna die. Now, if God if God comes to you and says you can have everything but one thing, is He generous? Absolutely. If I say, "Hey, come to my house, you can leave with everything, and it's up the remote control." You're like, all right, so don't touch that remote. I'll slap you. All right. You'd be like, all right, stay away from the remote, but I'm taking the flat screen. You know, he's just like, I, I would be a generous person. You can have a gallon of milk. Don't touch my remote control. But listen to me in half a conversation with the devil, Satan's tactic was, I don't want Eve to see him as a generous father. So he messes with her until she changed the, her viewpoint and she goes, well, God told us we couldn't eat of that tree. And if we even touch it, we'll die. God didn't say that. God didn't say if you touch it, you'll die. He didn't say it. She added to what he said. Now listen to me. This was Satan's, his whole game plan from the Garden of Eden to right now is for you to see God differently than who He is. She didn't see Him as a generous father. She saw Him as a judge with restrictions. And when she did that, He had her. When you see Jesus differently than who He is, you have a mistaken identity, then He's got you. Father's Day of 2021 was <clears throat> a bad day in the Brown family. Father's Day is my day. All men said, amen. It's my day. Brooke got arrested on Father's Day, 2021. No lie. So she, she gets done leading worship. She was singing, be praised. That triggered her in the first service. They started singing because she, she was on stage singing, be praised. Better than that. And she was singing Bee Praise. And 30 minutes later, she was in handcuffs. So we get to the end of service. And she goes, I'm going to go get you your favorite meal, Marcus. I'm like, oh, great. So there's this place called the Faded Rose in town across in West Little Rock. They make the steak with a a crawfish gravy. So she ends worship, drives over to the restaurant. I go home waiting on my steak because it's Father's Day. An hour passes by. Two hours passes by. She's not answering the phone. Finally, I get a call. And this man said, this is officer so-and-so of the North Little Rock Police Department. I said, okay. They said, are you Marcus Brown? I said, that's me. They said, uh, is your wife Brooke Brown? Now, I'm going to tell you, when you get a call from an officer like this, what happens? Your heart sinks. I'm like, you better get to the point. That's exactly what I said. Uh, You got to get to the point what happened. And he said... Well, I pulled your wife over for expired tags and I have her in custody. I said, then I thought he was messing with me. I said, what? He said, there's a warrant out for her arrest for attempted murder. (laughs) And then I started laughing. I was like, who put you up to this? He's like, no, I'm not kidding. Uh, Has your wife ever been to Louisiana? Now, let me just pause this. There's another Brooke Brown that spells her name exactly like Brooke that lives in Louisiana. I didn't know this. He's like, have you ever been to Louisiana? I'm like, yeah, we got family down there. They said, is your wife aggressive? I said, well, she's from Texas. And then uh, (laughs) we. We're going on and on. Brooks in handcuffs. I can hear her crying. She's like, could you get the hair out of my face? The wind's blowing in her face. She's like, he's like, uh, she has got a warrant out for her arrest for attempted murder in Opelousas, Louisiana. And we are extraditing her to South Louisiana. Right now, we're waiting on a state trooper. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, is this for real? I kept stopping and going, is this for real? He's like, yes. And he like, listen, we read the warrant. It was like, she's deceptive. She has aliases. She'll tell you anything. Brooks over there going, I was just leading a worship song. He's like, yeah, right. Shut your mouth, woman. (laughs) They're getting ready to ship her off to Louisiana and another (laughs) cop pulls up and he gets out and he goes, that's my pastor's wife. He's like, what? She just led worship. He goes, that's what she said, you know? <laughs> and they let her come home. And nobody was laughing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we came home, Brooke had been crying. All of her makeup off her wrists were raw, and they had her cup for two hours. And she goes, This will never be funny ever and so, so it took us six months to laugh about this she went to the bedroom i had cold food and, and little angie looked at me she said i always thought it'd be you who got arrested dad you know? so so i'm like i gotta make this funny so i i stuck my head in the door brooks brooks covered up under the covers i said i said babe i said just think of this if you wouldn't have married me you know you'd probably be headed to opelousas louisiana in the pokey but because you married me you're not in jail right now she stuck her head up she said if i wouldn't have married you my tags wouldn't have been expired i was like, oh. I was like okay i'm on leave right now you know Some of you have had your identity stolen. Some of you know what it's like to mistake someone for someone else, right? And now, because identity gets stolen, uh, you can get this, uh, the, uh, there's a company called LifeLock that'll protect your identity. I want everybody to look at me. Nobody's had their identity stolen more than Jesus. No one. And there's only one thing that protects his identity, and it's the Bible, And actually, one of the significant roles of the Holy Spirit is to seal this. You can't even kill this Word. Because this Word shows us who Jesus is all through the Bible. Now let me tell you, this whole world is trying to shape the identity of Jesus a little bit different so that you see Him like Eve began to see God in the garden. He's judgmental, and He's restrictive, and He is not for me. He's a little bit against me. He doesn't want to see me ha- Let me tell you something, and this is happening in culture right now. Culture would define Jesus as being irrelevant, that He's weak. And so every song, every musician, every movie you ever see will minimize the power of the name of Jesus. Every university would say, well, He's dead. He's like everybody else. He's not important for our times right now. And we'll send our kids off to college and a a university professor will eat them up and spit them out in the first semester of college. Because our universities are designed to do that to the name of Jesus. Politics has done it time and again. Well, he's a socialist. This is who he is. He's Santa Claus. Or he's a capitalist. This is who he is. He doesn't love the poor. And you see that politics begin to pervert the name of God. You see your own self will do this. If you don't have the Word hidden in your heart, then you'll see Jesus through your own personal opinions and viewpoints, and your feelings will change whether you're having a good day, bad day, whether you're on top of the world or whether you're suffering. You have got to be grounded in who the Word of God says Jesus is. So in John chapter 8, this is one of the six instances in the Bible where they tried to kill Jesus. In John chapter 8, this is what they said. Jesus is is talking. He'd been teaching, and the Pharisees got upset with him. He said, your father, watch Jesus, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was. Now, if he took English 1 in high school, he would have said, I was. Right before Jesus was, I was. Then they could have debated on whether he was two thousand years old or not. But here's Jesus' claim on God. He calls himself, "I am." Everybody say those two words with me. One, two, three. I am. And if it's in your Bible, circle it. I want you to. I want you to make a notation. Jesus was saying, "I am Yahweh. I am that I am." I'm the man who met with Abraham. I'm the man who met with Jacob. I'm the man who met with Moses. And when Moses was wondering about, remember Moses going, who am I to lead the children of Israel? He said, it doesn't matter who you are. He said, you tell them I am sent you. And what Jesus is saying, He says, I am that I am. And He uses, the, there's many different names of God in the Bible. He uses, track with me, He uses the name Yahweh. This is the most formal, holy name of God. Now, because of our lifetime and our culture, we're very casual with this name. But throughout all of biblical history, this name of God was so reverential that many people wouldn't even say Yahweh. The teachers would get there and go, He's that, you know. They couldn't even say it. Because they were like, our tone might take that holy name in vain. When, when scribes would write the Bible and they would get to the name Yahweh in the Bible, they wouldn't even write it Yahweh. Some of you, if you got a, a King James Version, when it gets to Yahweh, it'll capitalize it L-O-R-D in all caps, okay? They, they wouldn't even, what they would do is they'd get a new quill, make a mark for the name Yahweh in the Bible, a mark, because they didn't even want to write it in an unho- unholy way. Then they'd throw it away and not use it again. Jesus is saying, I am that I am. I am the great I am. And the reason Satan wants you to see him differently is because of so many powerful things that is attached to that name. He knows that your salvation alone is attached to the name of Jesus. Do you agree with that? Say amen. He knows that your healing, your freedom, and your way to heaven is through the name of Jesus. And so he is going, I've got to do whatever it takes for you to see him in a more casual way, a broken way, a way that's been adjusted by culture, university, politics, and our times. Because if you ever see Jesus the way he truly is, your life will never be the same again. Amen. So... For the rest of the book of John, he's going to give you about seven different I am statements, and I want to give you a few of them today. This is what he said. All of these are relevant right now in your life. It's going to be relevant by 5 o'clock this evening. Here's the first one. Number one, I am the bread of life. This is what he says. This is who I am. I am the bread of life. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This means, Jesus is saying... I am the source that fulfills your deepest needs. Your deepest desires, your deepest, sor- your deepest needs. I am the source that fulfills your deepest needs. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, this is John 6, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, who in here are the people that when you eat, you like bread with your meal? Raise your hand. My bread people. Uh, Okay, hold on. Who doesn't like bread with their meal? Let me just see who... Non-bread people. Who's my banana nut bread people? Where are they at? Who can cook? If you can cook banana nut bread, raise your hand. We need you to fill out a Connect card. All right. (laughs) Banana nut, glass of milk. Uh, How many of y'all like the bread from uh, Texas Roadhouse bread? Biscuits, come out buttered. Praise God. Uh, how many of you like breadsticks with that salad at Olive Garden? Oh, here we go. Okay, now let, let's vote. Who likes it? Be- who likes the breadsticks better than Texas Roadhouse? There were those people. All right, whose Roadhouse is better than everything? There you are. There you go. All right. I ate at, at Olive Garden seven days in a row when we lived here. And I had breadsticks with salad. I got, I got in front of the mirror. I went, that's a bread stuck, not a bread stick. You know what I'm saying? All right. Then you got all kinds of healthy bread, Ezekiel bread. You know, they named it after an Old Testament prophet. It tastes like cardboard. It's terrible. Never the will of God. You serve Ezekiel bread at your house. I ain't coming over. Amen. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And this is what he's saying. Uh, everything in your life is deficient. You can't make your own bread in every area of your life. This is what he's saying. It's like there are some I am statements that show you how deficient you are. When I say I am hungry, I got to go outside of myself to find food. You see, Jesus never had to go outside of himself to meet a need. He he is self sufficient, He's transcendent, He is the great I am. So if I say I am hungry, I got to go find some food, Uh, Jesus can just boom and food appears. You know what I'm saying? And if, you, and if I say, I am lonely, and you go, you know what? I am lonely. Then you gotta go, oh, I'm lonely? i got to find me a man. i got to find a girlfriend. i a got to get a profile on Match.com. you got to go outside of yourself. You see what I'm saying? If you say, I am stressed out, I've got to find something in this world that will help me release my stress. When He steps into your life, Jesus does, and He says, this is who I am to you. I am the bread of life. There's really in these moments when you go, I'm not enough to meet these needs. You can say my finances are going down, I'm broke. You go, oh, I got to get a second job, I got to cut up some crap, I got, I got. But when you get to the deepest needs of your life, there's two breads made for you. Satan's going to make a loaf, and God is going to make a loaf. Jesus is going to go, listen. If you're lonely, I'm a friend that's just closer than any brother. Amen. He goes, if you are stressed out, I can be peace like a river in your life. I can calm the storm and tell it to be still, to sit down, to shut up. He was like, when I'm broke, he goes, hey, I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I am the bread of life. Amen. Then he says something very similar to this. He said, I am the true vine. Y'all write that down. He said, I'm the, I meet the deepest, uh, deepest needs of your life, but when he says, I am the true vine, would you? I want you to be able to define that. This is what he means. He says, I am the vital source. I am the source that you need. This means he's saying, I am the power. I am a power source in your life. When you look at the life of Jesus, we see that he had power over creation. He, he turned water into wine. It just mesmerized everybody. Like, who can do this? He had power over demons, power over disease. He had power over everything in this world. And watch what he says about being the true vine. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So it'll be even more fruitful. Now watch what he says. I am the vine, you are the branches. If, everybody say that word with me. One, two, three. If, okay, listen to me. You have a responsibility. He's like, I am the vine, but if you want to be connected to the power, I'm putting the ball in your hand on this. He says, if you remain in me, You, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Then this is one of the most sobering verses to me in the Bible. He goes, apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? Apart from Jesus, nothing in your life is going to last. Apart from Jesus, I can do a little something. Nothing you do is going to last apart from Jesus Christ. The only things that are going to remain and your only legacy is going to last two or three generations. Like God's called you to have a legacy for three, three generations. He said the only way that you're going to have that kind of legacy is through the things that happen through you and Jesus Christ. He is the vital source. So you get to determine what is going to be the source of your life. So one day when I was living over here on Fresno Street, my internet was just dragging, driving me crazy. I was just upset. I put out a Facebook post about it, you know. Got to get new internet. Uh, I got this. I don't even remember what we had. It may have been AT&T. So Stephen Dixon came over to my house. I said, man, our our internet's dragging. I don't know what's going on. I said, our our kids can't even take classes online. I missed a LSU ball game the other day. I was just upset. Steve said, what? You, You might need a booster. He said, but let me just check a few things. He went outside about 10 minutes later. He said, I found your problem. I said, well, what, what's up? He said, look at this. We went out to my internet box, and there was a 200-foot cable. And it was going from my internet down my fence line across the backyard. And then down my neighbor was stealing my cable. I said, I thought that only happened in the ghetto. And it's just like, it's still in my, and it's 200 foot, he said, your neighbors are still in your cable. We cut it right then. I was like, cable cut? You know, and by I kept the cable, I I got 200 feet still. All right, listen to me. If you personally are not connected to the true vine, you are going to have to live off of someone else's spiritual life. And this is what happens when you have a need. When you have a need, you get desperate. And I'm telling you, Brandon and this staff and people, and you can text me, you go pray, pray, pray. We're going to pray. But when you are desperate, it's because you're throwing a Hail Mary. And the reason you're throwing a Hail Mary is you don't have your own source yourself. And when you don't have your own source, you're written off a neighbor. You're going, I got to rent off a pastor. I got to find a spiritual friend. I got to do something desperately. But there is a place that you get to decide the place that you're going to remain in him. And so, in me, this this is what you got to do if you're going to be in the true vine. You got to ask yourself, how do I get in the true vine? How is it that me personally, I'm connected with God? For me, this is my decision. When I'm in here and we're singing, I'm singing. I'm not watching Brandon going, man, I like Brandon. He hits good notes. I'm going, good job. I've got to be connected. i got to remain in him. So if the, the, if the band's singing, I'm singing. I don't sit there judging and go, what? That was a 7 out of 10. The first one was 8 out of 10. They went down and somebody hit a wrong chord. No, I'm going, i got to be remaining in him. So when it's time to worship, I worship. When it's time to learn, I learn. But my, listen to me, my life is at 517 in the morning. I am sitting in a chair on my porch. And it's me, my Bible, and I have two short devotions. And sometimes I turn on my little, my little fire thing I have out there, a little gas and fire thing coming up, fireball, and I turn it on. And it's, listen to me, my first appointment of the day, is the most important appointment I have with God. I don't don't meet with God when I feel like it. I don't meet with God when I mean to. Well, I meant to meet. He is the first appointment of my day every single day. And matter of fact, I'm a little bit religious about it. I have a streak going of how many days I've met with God. 65 days in a row. I'm doing pretty good right now. But I know that everything else in my life is dependent on am I in the vine or not. Am I spending time with God? Is He the source of my life? Amen? Here's the third one. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now listen, this is a hard one. Because especially young people today will go, Christianity's arrogant. Christianity is arrogant. Because they say they're the only way to heaven. We don't say we're the only way to heaven. Jesus said it Himself. Okay? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Everybody say, no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. You go, why in the world is it Jesus and only Jesus? I want everybody to listen to me. Because He is the only one who left heaven, came to earth, and died for your sins. Nobody else can claim that. He became a substitute for you. And He took on every mistake you've ever made never will not make. He took it upon Himself in your place. Nobody else did that. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. Because He's the only person that picked up your tab and paid your bill. And I'm thankful for that. If you're thankful for that, say amen. Amen. Okay. A couple years after I got here, I said, I, I got to get in shape. And so, me and Brandon joined CrossFit. We said, well, let's go all in. And I remember uh, we went down to uh, Van Buren and went to Dustin Ponder's box. And the first time I went and worked out, I thought we did the workout and we just did the warm up. <laughs> and I got done Dustin, say, how you feel? I was like, man, that's a good workout. He said, that was the warm up. I was like, oh, gosh, I'm going to die right here. Uh, after a few workouts, we had this guy walk up to me. He goes, hey, preacher. I said, hey, he said, uh. Me and my wife have been coming to your church. I said, okay. He said, I've been watching you uh, work out. And it looked like when you were doing those burpees, you were about to cuss. And uh, I looked at him and said, you'd be correct. You know? And then he looked at me. He was being honest with his heart. He said, how many cuss words does a preacher get in a week before he preaches a bad sermon? And I said, I don't know, but I'm about to get close. You know? And and then he just, his innocent heart, he looked at me and he goes, you know what? From now on, I'll do the cussing for you so he goes i'm dead serious he goes when you're working out if you need to cuss don't do it don't waste your cuss words in the gym nod at me and i'll just blurt out a cuss word on your behalf so how many of y'all need somebody like this in your life amen so so i look over i nod he's got about 500 cuss words thank god for roy praise god all right So, y'all need a friend like this that's a that's a good man of god listen to me It wasn't that Jesus said, I'll do the sin for you. He said, I'm going to take the sin from you. And you had to have somebody like that in your life. Because if you don't have somebody that removes the sin, removes the guilt, removes the shame, then that sin living inside of you will destroy your life. I just finished up this big monster book by Grant. One of my hobbies is I study presidents. And Ulysses Grant served two terms. He was a general in the Civil War. And then he actually, most people don't know this, he came back and he tried to run for a third term. And James Garfield, uh, the, the Republican National Convention was in Chicago, and he got nominated as president instead of Grant. It was real close. James Garfield was one of the smartest, most intellectual presidents that we've ever had in our history. We've had some people with brilliant IQs serve as president of the United States. Garfield was the president of a university when he was 26 years old. He was fluent in many languages. But listen, this is a fact. You can look it up. He would wow crowds and parties with this. He was ambidextrous. And he, uh, he could write in two different languages at the same time. Latin with his left hand and Greek with his right. And then he would speak in English. And it would all be the same. It's in, he's just insane. So uh, he was one of our presidents that was assassinated. Uh, but now when we look back on history, we're like, uh, we just kind of debate the assassination. He, he was shot in the back. And then for weeks, our physicians tried to extract the bullet from, out of his back. So back then, uh, now we can x-ray and we can go, you know what? Uh, we might leave that in there. You know, our, our we've got special equipment, we can take it. They just thought, we've got to get this out. But actually, they know now that this bullet was in the place where he could live the rest of his life with this bullet. It would have been fine. But they laid on the table and physicians from all over the world began to advise on what to do. How do we get this bullet out of his back? Alexander Graham Bell made an instrument that they thought would get it out, and he failed. So several weeks later, he gets this horrible infection. He died from the infection. This is what Satan does with sin in your life. He looks at the biggest temptations, the biggest mistakes in your life, and he probes it again and again and again. And he keeps putting that thumb on that. And he says, this is where I have mastery over this is where I've got you. This is where you will be under my thumb for the rest of your life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, not out of arrogance, because He knew the power He had when He laid His life down for you on the cross. And He said, I can not only forgive you, I can remove all of the junk surrounding that sin in your life everything that is infected and all of the problems that is caused, when my grace and mercy covers you, it will restore you to a place as if you never sinned once. That's a Jesus worth following. Amen.